Thank you for watching NTD Business coming up tonight. Twitter dropping more internal communications. This time, it's about Twitter's ties to the FBI. What did the agency allegedly ask it to do? Two top Republicans fighting against the Biden rule allowing retirement plans to consider social and environmental factors when investing. What are they concerned about? And President Biden signs a short-term funding bill to avoid a government shutdown, giving Congress a little more time. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Breaking news. Just now, Matt Taibbi just dropped Twitter Files Part 6. He's an independent journalist who's been working with Twitter CEO Elon Musk in revealing internal communications regarding Twitter's censorship of free speech. Now, the Twitter thread is titled Twitter, the FBI subsidiary. Taibbi said Twitter's contact with the FBI was, quote, constant and pervasive. Between January and 2020 and November 2022, he said there were over 150 emails between the FBI and former Twitter trust and safety chief Yul Roth. So what's in those emails besides holiday greetings and the FBI asking Twitter for user information? Taibbi said a surprisingly high number are requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation. In one tweet, Taibbi describes the relationship between the FBI and Twitter as master and canine. One email he shared shows the FBI asking Twitter to take action on four accounts, saying, quote, FBI San Francisco is notifying you it wants action. Then Taibbi said Twitter staff went on to look for reasons to suspend those accounts. Twitter would also reply to the FBI with the actions taken. Taibbi noted many of the accounts the FBI wanted suspended were satirical in nature and some don't get much engagement. It seems the drop has stopped for now, but we'll keep following the story and keep you updated with any new developments. Meanwhile, Twitter has also suspended the accounts of journalists who cover the social media platform. Among them were journalists working for the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, Voice of America, and other publications. CEO Elon Musk joined an online chat to give his reason last night. He said it's because they were revealing his real-time location, which he says is against Twitter policy. As I'm sure everyone who's been doxing uh, would agree, you know, uh, showing real-time uh, information about somebody's location is uh, inappropriate, and I think everyone on this call would not like that to be done to them. And, and there is not going to be any distinction in the future between journalists, so-called journalists, and, and regular people. Everyone's going to be treated the same. They're not special because you're a journalist. No special treatment. Um, you dox, you dox, you get suspended. End of story. The sudden suspension of news reporters followed Musk's decision Wednesday to permanently ban an account that automatically tracked the flights of his private jet called Elon Jet. That also led Twitter to change its rules for all users to prohibit the sharing of another person's current location without their consent. The reporters, in the course of reporting about Elon Jet, posted links to it. But according to Musk, the links to Elon Jet have his real-time location. Musk tweeted on Thursday, quote, Criticizing me all day long is totally fine, but doxing my real-time location and endangering my family is not. And a TikTok ban is gaining momentum in the states. Georgia's governor has joined over a half dozen other governors across the country in barring the use of TikTok on state-issued devices. 
Governor Brian Kemp sent a memo to state agency heads prohibiting the use of the short-form video app for, quote, every executive branch agency, department, division, bureau, board, authority, and commission in Georgia. Kemp also banned the use of WeChat and Telegram on all state systems and devices. The move comes as concerns grow about the app's parent company ByteDance and its affiliation with China. Critics have raised questions over whether the company has the ability to safeguard Americans' data from the Chinese regime. On to California. Air regulators there approved a plan yesterday to drastically cut reliance on fossil fuels. They want to reach carbon neutrality by 2045. That means the state will remove as many carbon emissions from the atmosphere as it emits. It aims to do this in part by reducing fossil fuel demand by 86% and relying more on renewable energy. California is still trying to figure out how to do that and avoid blackouts at the same time. The plan will likely impact multiple sectors, including transportation and agriculture. Though not everyone's happy with it, some say it doesn't do enough, while the Western States Petroleum Association says a complete phase-out of oil and gas is unrealistic. The plan is just a broad roadmap. It doesn't commit the state to taking any actions yet. And President Biden announced Wednesday that the United States and other G7 countries will donate billions to transition South Africa off of coal and onto renewable energy. Biden also said money would be spent helping develop energy solutions like clean hydrogen and a deal worth $2 billion to build solar energy projects. Today's announcement, joint, joint a portfolio of Partnership for Global Infrastructure Investment Projects already underway in Africa, including mobilizing $8 billion in public and private finance to help South Africa replace coal-fired power plants with renewable energy sources. Biden met with dozens of African leaders at the U.S.-Africa Business Forum. The president touted $370 million in new projects in Africa to promote business ties with the continent. Included in the summit is the creation of the African Continental Free Trade Area, which is designed to support local business. And now joining me to talk about the green energy transition in South Africa is Daniel Turner. He's the executive director at Power of the Future. Now, Daniel, uh, we've, we heard from Biden yesterday that he's mobilized $8 billion in, in the transition of green energy in South Africa. Now, I just want to get your thoughts. What was your first reaction when you heard this? Yeah, I think we've done enough to the poor continent of Africa uh, that at this point, taking away what reliable energy they have, which is coal, um, and transitioning them to wind and solar, which is, has been a proven failure worldwide, uh, that's just one more atrocity that the West is going to inflict on this nation. Um, you know, Africa right now has, has uh, according to organizations like Amnesty International, they have upwards of 40,000 children enslaved in cobalt mines uh, that are working in, in, in these mines because of green technology, because of wind, because of solar. Um, Biden didn't mention anything about those children, right? We, there was no outcry at this African Leaders Summit about uh, equity or, or tolerance or, or, or human rights abuses. So we just ignore this enormous problem 
that the West has created, right? The Green Movement has created this, um, and, and now we're going to take away what is working, which is coal. So it's it's just another atrocity that we're committing on, on the African continent, and, and it's unsurprising, but that doesn't make it less abysmal. Has there been any example of the green energy transition that has worked in the past? No, and, and that's part of the joke, right? If you could show me a, a country that has made this quote-unquote transition that has had success, um, th then I would change my tune. Uh, the country that is furthest along in this transition is, of course, Germany. Uh, they have spent 20 years and close to half a trillion, that's 500 billion, half a trillion euro to go green. Um, they have, have taken down their, their nuclear program. They've closed coal mines and put up wind turbines across the whole country. And what's the result of that? The result of that is that their emissions are higher than they were, if that's a standard you care about. The Greens certainly care about the emission standards. And the other result is that their electricity is now a thousand times, and that's not a misprint, a thousand times higher than that was just a couple of years ago. Factories in Germany are closing because they cannot afford their electric bills. So, so when does going green work, right? If Germany can't do it after 20 years, if the German economy is in a tailspin, well, why do we think the, the sub-Saharan African continents are going to have some success? So it's just, it has never been a success anywhere it's tried, and yet we continue to double down on it, just like we do with socialism. So the U.S. is already facing an uphill battle here at home with the transition to green energy. Now it's trying to do this at two fronts. That seems like a real challenge to me. Oh, absolutely. And, and if you look at how much we have spent on going green and what our fossil fuel consumption rate has been, you realize it's absolutely impossible. We've spent, you know, almost a trillion dollars in the last couple decades on this going green, on wind, on solar, on research, on subsidies. And what percentage of our economy is still fossil fuel based? If we've gone from 89%, we're now at 88%. So to get to 0%, and that's why all these metrics are so many years out in the future. They talk about net zero by 2030, net zero by 2050. It's because the Biden administration knows these are totally unattainable goals. And by the year 2050, it's some more some other fool's problem to have to deal with. So you're absolutely right. We can't do it at home. The hubris to think we're going to do it to another nation, especially a poor nation which is struggling, it, it's, just, it's just abominable. It really is. All right. Thank you very much, Daniel. Power of the future. Great seeing you again. Thank you. Oil prices have been falling lately, and the Energy Department today announced it'll start buying back oil to fill the strategic reserve. It'll be the first purchase since the record oil release from the reserve this year. The department will buy up to 3 million barrels for delivery in February, according to an official. But that'll be far from enough to replenish the reserve. President Biden authorized the release of 180 million barrels earlier this year to bring down gas prices. The sale shrunk the reserve to its lowest level in nearly four decades, raising concerns about energy security. The White House has said it will make purchases later and fill up the reserve again. At that time, they set a price target of $67 to $72 per barrel. The U.S. benchmark WTI futures were trading at around $74 today, not too far away from that price target. And your wallet is likely taking a hit this holiday season, but prices at the pump could provide some relief at least. Gas prices have dropped again, falling to a 15-month low. AAA reports the average cost for a gallon of gas is now 318. It's 14 cents lower than the previous week and 56 cents lower than a month ago. 
19 states now have an average gas price of under $3 a gallon, including Minnesota, Ohio, and Colorado. Still, gas prices are higher than when Biden took office in January 2020. The average price for a gallon of regular was $2.54. That's about $0.64 cents cheaper than it is now. Two Republican congressmen are fighting President Biden's ESG policies. The Biden administration wants to allow federal retirement fund managers to use ESG factors when investing. Senator Mike Braun and Representative Andy Barr have filed a measure to stop that from happening. ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. It's a controversial political topic that Democrats generally support and Republicans generally oppose. The Biden administration says ESG criteria protect funds from climate-related financial risk. But Representative Andy Barr says it's hurting America's energy sector, raising gas prices, and hurting profits. And we spoke to someone who has studied ESG very closely. Scott Shepard is with the National Center for Public Policy Research. He says ESG is unconstitutional. It has been sold by its, uh, its propagators as just good tactics that corporations can pick up to do the right thing for everybody. Now, of course, it's not that at all. Its two twin pillars are discrimination on, in the name of equity on the basis of race, sex, and orientation. It's unconstitutional and illegal in the United States. And decarbonization, not according to financial and technological schedules. Shepard says ESG funds generally do worse than non-ESG funds. This is because fund managers are no longer focusing on, focusing on maximizing profits. Instead, they're sidetracked by criteria like equity, inclusion, and decarbonization. So for someone going into retirement, this may lead them to have less money to support themselves. Shepard even feels that ESG may be corrupt from top to bottom. He points to the recent FTX scandal as an example. Ratings firm True Value Labs has given crypto exchange FTX a very high ESG rating. After FTX collapsed because of alleged fraud, we found out there was virtually no corporate infrastructure whatsoever. The fact that FTX had wonderful uh, ESG ratings is a great illustration that, um, that, they're, that they're nonsense. Tesla has worse ESG ratings because it's owned by Elon Musk, even though it's a, a clean, in, in their mind, cleaner car company. Um, this, these things are politicized. Uh, and they are they are based on willingness to to toe the left wing line rather than anything serious and, and fundamental. Despite all the conservative criticism, ESG has a very strong hold on the culture. An overwhelming majority, over over ninety percent of S and P five hundred companies publish ESG reports. Over seventy percent of Russell one thousand companies do the same. Republicans are concerned when investment funds are involved because. Those funds deal with other people's money. Those people might not necessarily agree with the left's causes that their money is going towards. 19 attorneys general across the United States are currently investigating ESG-tied companies. As for the measure introduced to stop retirement fund managers from using ESG criteria, it's unlikely to pass. The executive director of Consumers Research Group says it's still meaningful, though. The firm is dedicated to helping consumers be more informed, including those who use retirement funds. 
With Democrats controlling the Senate and the White House, I think it's probably unlikely that in this current uh, instantiation that this would pass. However, this is the kind of problem that really should be a bipartisan issue, even though this is, you know, ESG pushes the platform of the of the Democratic Party, it hurts the entire country. And so I'm hopeful that as we and others raise attention to this problem and people understand the ways in which their interests are being undermined using their own money, that this will become a bipartisan agreement. Representative Andy Barr tweeted earlier today that Biden's plan threatens the returns and financial security of unwitting federal employees. He says the funds would likely be put into higher fee, less diverse and lower performing instruments in the name of woke politics. And moving on, President Biden has just signed a one-week funding bill to avert a government shutdown. It's going to give lawmakers a little more time to finalize a full year funding deal. They were racing against a deadline tonight. That's when the funding for the government was set to expire. Lawmakers in both chambers passed the stopgap bill earlier this week. But the stopgap bill is just that, a temporary measure. It extends funding for just another week until Friday, December 23rd. But top negotiators in the House and Senate express optimism about a framework for a full year of government funding. So far, those negotiators have not provided many specifics about the $1.7 trillion deal. Wall Street stocks ended lower today. The Dow lost 282 points or nine-tenths of a percent. S&P fell 43 points or one and one-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq dropped 105 points or one percent. OpenAI, a company gaining popularity for its image generation software, Chatbot, is predicting big revenue numbers for 2024. NTD Sean Marshall has more details. ChatGBT, an automated AI chatbot made by OpenAI, has been gaining popularity recently. ChatGPT interacts in a conversational way and has the ability to answer follow-up questions, admit its mistakes, challenge incorrect premises, and reject inappropriate requests. But the question many are wondering is how will OpenAI make money? So far, Dolly 2, an AI image generator that was one of the first successful programs available for public use, was one source of revenue. Dolly 2, an AI image generator also made by OpenAI, can create realistic images and art from a description is also a possible future source of revenue. I told the image generator to make an image of NTD business news anchor Don Ma, but in the future. It gave me this group of images from a simple description. I spoke with financial AI expert Mina Tadras about the revenue possibilities of OpenAI's chat GPT with financial markets. So I am curious, what if this model is able to forecast? Um, so that, that will be absolutely incredible. I, I don't know what's, what, what that will, will be like, but it should be pretty advanced. I mean, if you apply the same technological uh, um, um, product uh, that, that they currently have and, and are able to provide right now in, in the financial markets, I think I think it could be a game changer. Uh, but um, yeah, perhaps maybe we can collaborate with them in, the, in that capacity, we'll see. Three sources briefed on OpenAI's recent pitch to investors said the organization expects 200 million in revenue next year and 1 billion by 2024. Victor Riparbelli, CEO of text-to-video startup Synthesasia, said money so far is in a lot of the more boring use cases. The London-based company has more than 20,000 customers, including Amazon, using its software. It can generate corporate training and product marketing videos, 
Though longer term, the goal is AI producing Hollywood quality content, he said. Amazon confirmed its use of the technology. OpenAI is projected to make big money, but some may also wonder how to police the use of AI in general. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And we're going to take a short break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, emergency rooms misdiagnosing millions of people every year. According to a new government study, which conditions are missed the most? Then and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. A government study found that more than 7 million people are misdiagnosed in U.S. emergency rooms every year. But to put simply, that means about 1 in 18 patients are getting the wrong diagnosis. According to the Department of Health and Human Services report, 2.6 million people have preventable harm done to them. Another 370,000 are permanently disabled or died because of the misdiagnosis. The most missed conditions include stroke, heart attack, aortic aneurysm, spinal cord injury, and blood clots. Researchers say nonspecific or atypical symptoms are the strongest factors leading to diagnostic mistakes. And for military service members stationed abroad and their families, the holidays can be a particularly stark reminder of that service. Luckily, there are some organizations seeking to bridge long distances and provide a little comfort with the sounds of the season. Here's the story. The holiday season has a certain ring to it. And striking a certain chord can make a long distance connection seem a little closer. The one that always gets me a silent night, it just... It brings tears to your eyes. On a recent evening at the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, an audience of active duty service members, military families, and military veterans enjoyed a free holiday concert by the National Symphony Orchestra featuring Tony Award winner Laura Benanti and including classics like I'll Be Home for Christmas. My brother-in-law, my sister's husband, was a Marine and who was in Afghanistan, and I often think of him when I sing that song, and it's very moving to be able to sing for people who aren't necessarily able to be together during Christmas. I remember how hard that was for my sister. The U.S. military has its own musical traditions and long-standing ensembles, like the United States Marine Band, the president's own, which accompanied the unveiling of this year's White House holiday decorations. Violinist Derek Powell played with the United States Army Band, Pershing Zone, before joining the National Symphony Orchestra. No matter where you're from in the U.S., you probably, or even around the world, you hear a lot of these songs and it brings you back to a time or place. That familiarity can be powerful for service members stationed abroad and their families at home. From personal experience, being deployed during the holidays was one of the, the toughest times as I was away from family and what I was used to. After nearly 25 years of military service, Christopher Plamp now heads up USO Entertainment, which has presented programs for U.S. troops abroad since the 1940s. He says the virtual era provides new opportunities via video and mobile apps that can reach beyond their in-person events. We make sure that we're providing entertainment around the world uh, to the service members no matter where they are, but also just through our holiday programming. 
Um, last year, we had over 2,500 different holiday events all around the world. But Nancy says she can't put herself in the position of those serving abroad or missing a loved one this holiday season, but she can be part of that longtime tradition of music bringing a little joy. If there's a little joy, a little glimmer of happiness, you know, that we can bring people, then that makes me feel, I, I just feel really grateful to have the opportunity to do that. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. See you next week.